0: This should now be um, recording something oh yes thank you right it's Wednesday the 19th of March I'm reliably informed and we're going on with our little study on the Beatitudes and we, I think we're on week 11 the King and His Kingdom we're really looking at the King and His Kingdom now and we're looking at Kingdom principles when we look at the Sermon on the Mount we're looking at principles we're not looking at things that are saying you have got to be like this right now what we're looking at is where God's heading for us if you like because we're all in different stages of growth so what he's doing is laying down his kingdom principles for his subjects in his kingdom when we look at the Sermon on the Mount that is what we're looking at um, and the Sermon on the Mount is for those who uh, wrote the scripture down somewhere lost it again Continuers, um, those who have decided that they uh, want to go on with him. Luke twenty-two twenty-eight, I think, is the scripture. Found it now. I just got one word this morning, or two words. I have got agape, and I got uh, uh, continuous So Luke twenty-two twenty-eight. We'll have a quick flip into first. I'm in the message here so it could look nothing like it I read a bit of the message to Joyce yesterday she said I can't I can't um." now this is the disciples doing their usual thing bickering I'm reading from verse 24 in the message uh, and it's headed up get ready for trouble within minutes they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest but Jesus intervened Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as one who serves, and you've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me, so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. In my version, it implied that um, it was to do with kingdom and inheritance sticking with him in trials gives you a right to come into the kingdom because there's two things you see the kingdom and you enter it and like everything else if you want the best there are there's a cost to pay and he says here to them that they've stuck with him through thick and thin so whatever trial you're going through right now I'd say that you are sticking with him you have persevered with him through his trials the same trials that he went through and he will confer on you the royal authority that his father conferred on him so there is again we're starting to look at the principles of the kingdom the king and his reign and and what it means to have an inheritance we've been looking at that before I'm still not clear on it Um, somewhere it says doesn't it, it is my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, so I'm just going to look this up in um, my version and see what it says there, Luke twenty-two, twenty-eight. but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel so he's talking specifically here to the to the apostles they would later become apostles and he's saying that because you stuck with it there is a reward in that you get to inherit something and what they get to inherit is the kingdom Um, we'll, we'll probably be trying to look at this whole issue of inheritance a bit later on but obviously we have to decide at some stage whether we're going to be continuous, and the Sermon on the Mount really is written to continuous because he says, if you continue in my love and my love continues to abide in in you, you will ask what you will and will be given to you the The only um, caveat on it as your husband would be pleased to say is the is the fact that you continue if you abide in me. They're what you call um, conditional promises. Some are unconditional promises. Um, Your salvation, totally, well it's not unconditional, you believe. And so on condition of believing you become a Christian. That's your conditional promise. Um, But again, everything has got, like, uh, as Chris Larkin's words said, there are tolls to pay on whichever pathway you choose to go you know the two pathways there's tolls to pay and right now june bless her heart is going through a, a really lengthy and extended uh trial and, and test of everything every area really her physical her financial the home situation every area is being tested allowing to be tested um That scripture that I just looked at, funnily enough, I saw, is Satan's desire to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, I think it goes on to say, does it not? Luke 22, does it, I think I called sight of it, there you go. Yes, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of power and keeping of God, that he might sift all of you like grain. That's it. But I have prayed especially for you, Peter that your own faith may not fail that's it as soon as you set your sail for really meaning business with God sooner or later Satan will say I want to test them and God says alright go on then knowing full well he can bring you through the first time I experienced that I was up at Maniforstall I was going through something unbelievable it was mental Uh, and it was an issue about the word of God because I've always been strong on the word of God you know and it was awful, it was absolutely terrible, and, and all of a sudden I tripped over that verse. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith fell That's alright then. And everything just went. Because I knew what was going on. It's the sifting, and when you get these siftings, what they do is they refine your motives for everything that you do. Because you get under such pressure that it gets right down to the bone, if you like, and you see what your own motives are for what you do because God knows what they are but he reveals them to you it's said isn't it that people on the mission field go out there very keen sometimes to get on the mission field but it's the pressure of the mission field that actually shows what the motives are sometimes the motives are not as pure as they might be and they will be the ones that will come home Uh, but the ones who are there because God has sent them there will stay He's always sifting, testing. Wish that he wasn't, but he is. So we're looking at continuous. Those uh, of you who are those who have continued with me in my trials. So as I said, I've got two words this morning. One was agape and the other one uh, was continuous. So what I want to quickly do this morning is to I want to whip through the Sermon on the Mount in the message because I read it the other night and I went through making little marks where the uh, common or eros love hook is and just looking at them for myself out of the word and in in the um, message it's so very clear um, you can't miss what he's saying It's, it's it's really worth looking at it. Go for that. Okay. Where's my little doodah? Okay. Joyce said this was a funny, funny well, Here we go then, Matthew 5. I might stop and sort of interject a thing or two. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Committed are another word, I think, for continuous. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and talked to his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You'll be glad of that. <laughs> with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God, His food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that. Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Salt and Light Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning, that brings out the God flavours of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Completing God's Law Don't suppose for a minute I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to pull it all together, pull it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others, and you will find honour in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Notice there, that's entering. Seeing and entering are where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night time, and he, sa- he says two things to him. He says to him about, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, and then he says, to enter it you need water. Uh, and the blood I think it's water and the spirit so there's two things you see it and you enter it then murder you're familiar with the command to the uh, ancients, ancients don't murder I'm telling you that anyone who is as much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder carelessly call a brother idiot and you might just find yourself hauled into court thoughtlessly yell STUPID at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is, words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering you suddenly remember a grudge your friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right, then and only then come back and work things out with God. Notice it's a grudge they have against you, not that you have against them. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court. Maybe even in jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. Adultery and divorce. And I've got a little hook here because this is the Eros or the common love way. You know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtues simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Remember the scripture says whoever divorces his wife let him do it legally giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you're legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she's already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure empty promises. Got a hook beside this one. And don't say anything you don't mean. This council is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down the smokescreen of past talk saying I'll pray for you and never doing it or saying God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Love your enemies. Here's another hook, and uh, it's limiting revenge, really. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, Gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. There you have another example of agape. Because it's totally opposite to our normal way we would want to respond, isn't it? Gift wrap your best coat and give it when someone's pinching. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring the best out in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Then you're working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is your new DNA. This is what God does. He gives his best the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless the good the bad the nasty and the nice if all you do is love the lovable do you expect a bonus anybody can do that if you simply say hello to those who greet you do you expect a medal any run-of-the-mill sinner does that in a word what i'm saying is grow up your kingdom subjects now live like it Live out your God-created identity, live generously and graciously towards others, the way God lives towards you. World is not a stage, got a hook alongside this as well. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good, so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theatre, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone's watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That's the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, Helps you out. I've got a straight arrow alongside that because that's agape. Pray with simplicity. Got another hook here. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Mm. Here's what I want you to do find a quiet, secluded place. So you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you, I've got a little arrow that goes like that there, to God, and a straight one there. And you will begin to sense his grace. The world is so full, sorry, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. I've got another hook. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your Father you're dealing with and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this, that no one will recognize this as what we call the Lord's Prayer. amazing. Our Father in Heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right do what's best as above so below keep us alive with three square meals keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others keep us safe from ourselves i like that bit and the devil you're in charge you can do anything you like you're a blazing beauty yes 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 (laughs) joyce said where's forever and ever amen (laughs) In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. I've got another little hook here. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. A life of God-worship. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in that childlike wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live in squinty-eyed greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you put the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Got another little look there. And here comes another one. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Straight arrow coming up. If you decide for, go- decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more that to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a JD, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wild flowers. They never print or shop, but have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the, peer- the appearance of wild flowers, most of which you've never seen, don't you think He'll attend to you, take pride in you, do His best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things but you know both God and how He works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find in all your everyday human concerns all will be met. Give your entire attention to what he's doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I've written under their Father takes care of his own. Mm-hmm. A simple guide for behaviour. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticise their faults, unless of course you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. I've got a little hooked arrow here. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbour's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole travelling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbour. Don't be flipped with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honour to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't cat and mouse hide and seek. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behaviour. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and profits and this is what you get. Being and doing. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with sure-fire, easy-going formulas for a successful life that can be practised in your spare time. Is that not true of the 21st century? Mm. Don't fall for that stuff! Seven easy steps to a successful prayer life. (laughs) Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot dripping with practiced sincerity got hooked by this one too. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burnt. Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now, at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message, we bash the demons. Our God-sponsored projects have everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit you're out of here. And that is a loss of inheritance not a loss of salvation. Since this business about inheritance and salvation there is a big difference. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words built to form a life on. So I said they are principles in the the Sermon on the Mount principles for us to live by if you work these words into your life you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock rain poured down river flooded tornado hit but nothing moved that house it was fixed to the rock but if you just use my words in bible studies and don't work them into your life you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Interesting. Mm. It can't be just talking it. We need to walk the talk, not just talk the talk. Quite a contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they'd ever heard. Um, I think that uh, this next baton is going to be like a hand grenade or an exocet because it's going to cause us to examine a lot of stuff about what we've believed, about what church should be, how we should function uh, and how God is calling us to function. And because, hopefully, there'll be quite a number of, of, of people representative from various different places, like Anglican Church, maybe some Methodists, Pentecostals, Charismatic, Renewal. Um, you know, I, my own feeling is that the Renewal Movement is on its way out. doesn't mean Father's heart is on its way out, but it means God has moved into another new... Again, yet again, we set in concrete what was happening with the Toronto thing, and it's got set in concrete, people still chasing after the experience, and not after him, and not after what it was he was trying to say. And he's moved into a completely new era, as did this show for me. It it scared the wits out of me, not seeing this about this is the coming apostasy, gives me like a flag to say well could we be there then is that where we actually are because God reveals things to his servants the prophets he reveals where we're at why is it suddenly there's a call for warriors though that there's a feeling that's coming across maybe it's because that is where I'm coming from Um, I'm not a warrior by choice I'm a warrior by call it's just that I didn't want to show the yellow streak down the centre of my back, you know, by running away. Uh, and God brings you into these things, but this way of the warrior conference, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm not fastified if I have those CDs or not yet, and I'm thinking, you have got to get those. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the stuff that God has given me on the church and on how we've hitherto done things, it doesn't mean that we're going to go back and rubbish everything that's being done. It means that we're going to take it away and think about what's been said because I think right early on I say take it to your leadership run it by them, get (coughs) mad, get sad, get glad, get something because it's going to make you think what he's having me say is going to make you think (coughs) Um, so we are in a profound time of (coughs) the whole change of the just shake it all out and start all over again really Except leave the Word of God, and it will show you what He wants to show you from that. nothing is what we thought it was, really uh, anyway i don 't know where I was taking myself with that one. you asked if you know what about people not knowing well, all over there must be people doing the same thing as I 'm doing, mm. and people are going away with like that nugget that uh, Kate saw mm. to think about it, but mm. is there anything in this? that you know, in most people if you ask them are brassed off with ch- church as we know it but stick with it it's just the same old same old if you keep on doing what you've always done you're going to get what you've always had don't you you know mm. you really are uh, and it's not about change for change sake it's about coming into what god wants us to be doing i mean what he was talking about or, or they were talking about uh, in the worship the levels of worship that they have reached I had no idea because there is in our churches it's audience it's audience mm. uh, you're not allowed to participate I mean the first time I ever went to church on the way when it was at the Devil roof Hall <laughs> Rupert was preaching and I said preach it brother or something like that and it I mean I didn't realise that you didn't say things like that you are not allowed to speak. Whereas you actually need some feedback from the people you're talking to. Like, even if it's only a thumbs down and a raspberry, you want to know. <laughs> Boo, get her off. You know, you want to know. Because you're not wooden tops. People are not. But to get Brits to actually. <laughs> I came in to, to a Pentecostal church where you all put your penneth in. There's plenty of preach it, brothers, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And mm. and Anne's going up to pray a prayer. Or, and it's audience participation there. Mm. But you go into anywhere else, Anglican church, you don't even move. There's one bloke up the front, he does it all. You go out and you think, didn't think much of the word this morning. By the time you're out the door, it's gone from you. You've done your religious bit, so that's that for the week. You're not allowed... Whereas what's coming is everybody brings something. In the Bible it says everyone has. And everyone brings. So if you don't come with your gold frankincense or myrrh, as it came to me this morning, when the wise men came to Jesus, they brought him a gift. They brought something, didn't they? So we need to come to a meeting carrying something so that we build up, encourage and edify the rest of the members of the body. Otherwise, all we're being is, is audience. Mm. So, in a little way, the Pentecostal church had a start of it. The charismatic church didn't like it at all because that was always led from the front and everything was weighed. You couldn't, you know, if you had a prophecy, it got go up there, get it checked out by the leadership. And most often you weren't allowed to bring it because they didn't like the smell of it, so they wouldn't let it happen. The Bible says everyone has, and when you bring a word, just be quiet while you listen to that one and wait until the next one comes and says some more. It doesn't say you've got to only have three. It says can we have a bit of order while we listen? Because if we all speak at once you can't hear it. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what the rest of the body is picking up. I'm not the only frequency s- signal station that's picking up anything round here. You guys have all got your antennas. Mm so when it comes to worship apparently the way they're starting to do it as I can understand it in Vacaville is do you remember oh no you weren't there when I went to uh, years ago 96 Peter Stotts Church in um, Havent in Hampshire one day we went to the meeting That's where I met Chris Larkin she was just about to move to Southampton she came talk talked to me about it she wasn't sure she was doing the right thing Um all the instruments were up the front and no musicians. And the reason for that was that anyone who felt they wanted to go, they, were, they could play an instrument, mm-hmm. that they had an anointing, they would go up there, pick up an instrument and start to play. What would the worship group think about that? My worship group, do it my way. I mean, break your paradigms or what? So I suspect that's the sort of thing that's happening in Vacaville. And they they apparently went wild in worship there. Um, And if you want to be silent, that's fine. If you want to dance up and down, that's fine. If you want to go hooping around like an Indian, that's fine. If you want to take the microphone and shout down that and do a bit of karaoke, I'm sure that's fine. You know, break us out of our mould. But the thing is, that we're there to worship Him. Not for what other people are thinking about what we're doing. Because we each come to worship Him. So we will worship in the way that He directs us to worship. So when everybody comes together and they're going at it the way God directs them, there's got to be harmony. It's only when you're tripping over somebody's ego that you've got a problem. And you're tripping over when I don't like that well taffy does <laughs> that is the nature of the change that is coming what we've got is is just as a as, brick uh, joiner center uh, throw a stale crust into the cage once a week <laughs> walk off and leave them to go with the other. <laughs> some of these prophetic guys they really nail it don't they just throw a stale crust anyway I don't know where we went this morning but um, oh dear I don't know whether I can pick up on my notes that I did I was going to talk about common and uncommon love you know about Eros or uh, versus Agape love but so ingrained is the pattern within us that though a divine seed is placed in us at the point of conversion the seed never sprouts because we don't know that we've actually got to live in the new rather than in the old. We don't know that these are the rules for kingdom living and, and we have the ability to live them through this. Um, somebody said, and I expect it was Bob Mumford, um, is talking about lifestyle staying the same and we bear very little difference to our neighbours and we're not salt and light. It's not a condemnation, it's, and this, was, this is Bob Mumford. It's a diagnosis of a spiritual disease which is killing us and the church, and it's invisible. It's like a virus that is resistant to all antibiotics. And that is what is happening at the moment. But God has like said, that's enough, we've got a job to do, we are going to move into my kingdom purposes, uh, and the way to do that is this Agape Conversion Experience, which is a real choice. I bought my little book down here. But I wonder whether one of these days we'll get started on doing. And it's Bob Mumford's, of course, the Agape Road: A Journey to Intimacy with the Father. And on the back he says, "You're on a journey, but do you know where you're headed?" In the Agape Road: Journey to Intimacy with the Father, Bob Mumford explains. That Jesus came to earth to reintroduce us to God as a father whom we can know and love and have an intimate relationship with. Our destination as believers where we are headed is intimacy with the father and Mumford believes fatherhood is one of the greatest issues facing our society. Many people do not want to get to know a God who calls himself father Mumford was rejected by his own father and spent decades in ministry searching for identity, security and belonging. And out of his search he says believers are on a journey he calls the Agape Road. Jesus takes us on this journey. Believers get off the Agape Road when they take an excursion into worldliness or man-made religion. We can get off the road in both directions at the same time or go back and forth. And he does it like a a straight thing going up there that's the agape road right to the father and then there's these two that go off like that sometimes we we'll go off over there and come back and transfer and we we'll go over there and we we'll could cross over all the time like that into these two diversions off the road and seven giants are identified that entice us to make a detour and these giants are manifestations of what he calls eros or common love the opposite of agape or God's love Because what I perceive has happened is that when we come into church, instead of finding another kind of love which we hear about, we find a refined form of Eros. It's never changed. And which is even more powerful than that which we find in the world. Because the controlling influence in a church can be very, very powerful. Because we are told that that is what God wants for us to be under our leadership, and that leadership <coughs> can absolutely pin us down. I spoke to someone yesterday who's just come out of their church, and he said, "I felt like some uh, like a weight had come off my shoulders." And the house group leader was quoted as saying, "We were peeved that you didn't tell us before you told the church leaders." I said, "Now there's a loving there's a loving way to see you on your way, isn't it?" Now what is that? Is there a hook in that? We were peeved. Who are they looking for, out for the best interests of? The person leaving or themselves? doesn't take much to see it. It's a a self-referential thing isn't it? It's Eros. It is how it affects us. We were peeved because you have taken that course of action. Instead of saying we bless you, wherever you're going be blessed prophesying over and bless them let them go, we were peeved. but nevertheless they're free so it's, it's powerful and we begin to imbibe a toxic kind of love it is toxic because I have been personally so pushed down by churches uh, that I have cried on the way going I've wept many mornings going to church on the way I just didn't want to go, didn't know why I didn't want to go. But the influence that you come in under there so powerful, it's not only a self-referential do it like I say you do it, stand up when I say, sit down when I say, worship the way I tell you to do it. This is not a criticism, this is what it did to me. It, I didn't want to go. I love God with all my heart but I didn't want to go there. And in the end I took a sabbatical and I'm still on it seven years later. And I don't think I've lost anything by being away. In fact, I've fed myself, or God has fed me, from the finest in the wheat. And I'm free. So what I am very conscious of, very conscious of, is that I don't ever, 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 ever want anyone looking to me for anything. I I will give you godly advice. I will pray for you. I will pray with you. But I will not be over you. I will look after you. I will care for you. I will release you, I'll watch out for you, I'll warn you when you're going in the way I think you shouldn't go. But there is no way that I will allow myself to say, well, you've got to do it like this. Or goodbye. Because that is what it is. You get marginalized if you don't actually fit the mold. Why? Because we've got Eros operating where Agape should be, because we haven't known so, it isn't, it isn't a criticism and it isn't a finger pointed, but we've got to do a shift. We've got to, if once we see there's a different way of living and a different way of loving, which is what the end of March is all about, we'll want it. Because we know what it's like. All the way along in my Christian walk, I have had men that have, have held me up as a. If you can't be a good example, be a dire warning. The the only um, um, one that didn't do that at first was Alex, but in the end he ended up hanging me up on the hook. But men all the way along the line have tried to shut me up, hold me down, stop me doing what God has said right the way through which is fine, part of my training, I don't have any problem with that. But the other morning a guy rang me up on his way to work and he just gave me, I think I mentioned it last week or a week before, he just told me how much God had worked through this ministry to build people up. And I just sat there and took it and thought, oh, that's sweet of him, isn't that nice? But when I was thinking of it this morning I thought, you did that, Lord, because of the way men have always pushed me down. And I didn't rec- even recognise it. When, by the time God vindicates, you don't even see it. And it was a man that did it. And he was in leadership, or had been. He'd come out from a church where, again, if you, if you get the primary people who are leading the church, wanting people being loyal to them, be suspicious. Because they're loyal to the people, not mm-hmm. to God. And your loyalty is to God and this particular church that he came out of it's well if you're not going to stand with me then we don't want you here you know because this is the shift the move so we need an agape conversion experience which is, is a real choice and God's leading us into something completely new and as I said before we, we can't uh, write about it we can't see tapes or videos we just have to um agree with God and say I want to go where you're going because it's going to be absolutely brilliant the way that he's going and it'll lead us onto this the Agape road and we learn to stay Bob Mumford says on the Agape road through abiding holding steady in the crises of life that tempt us to take one or the other of the detours which is the religious one or the worldly one We make progress on the Agape Road when we become Father-pleasers, centred on God. It's brilliant, this. So, uh, I think that's about it for this morning. Children of the Kingdom, God bless you. Thank you for listening.